Welcome to The Big Interview with Dan Rather, the podcast that delves deep into the heart of music through the words of the artists themselves. This is your backstage pass to intimate conversations with legends and icons from across the music world, as guided by none other than the legendary Dan Rather. Each episode will bring you exclusive in-depth interviews from rock and roll to country, from pop to alternative. We cover it all right here on The Big Interview with Dan Rather. So sit back, relax, and prepare to immerse yourself in the stories, the struggles, the triumphs, and the tunes that have shaped our musical landscape. Here's your host, Dan Rather. On this edition of The Big Interview, legendary rock band Styx. Hey, good afternoon. Hi, Dan. Thanks for nice doing this. Nice to see you. Appreciate it. Good to see Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Good to see Great you. Great to see you. Yeah. Come in. Welcome to Cape Hi, Dan. Hey. Great to meet Great you. Great to see you. Thanks. Come in. Sticks has been selling out venues and bringing fans to their feet for nearly five decades. They were the first band to release four consecutive multi-platinum albums. But that level of success didn't happen overnight. Before they became six, founding members Dennis DeYoung and fraternal twins Chuck and John Panozo first started playing together in 1960s Chicago. They soon formed a band called The Trade Winds. By 1970, they added lead guitarist James J.Y. Young, who solidified the band's authentic rock sound. That sound led to a record deal in 1972, as well as a name change. The only name they could all agree on, Styx, the mythological river in Hades that separates the world of the living from the dead. The band would get another jolt of energy with the addition of singer and guitarist Tommy Shaw three years later. Tommy's talent and onstage charisma elevated the band's showmanship. Six released seven top ten singles between 1975 and 1983, including the fan favorite Come Sail Away. Six was soon named the most popular band in the country. Creative differences and mounting tensions would tear the band apart. Styx broke up in 1984. Fifteen years later, after a few failed attempts to reunite, the band was ready to hit the road again. This time, it would be without their lead singer, Dennis Young, was out. Lawrence Gowan, a solo artist who had opened for Sticks in the past, was asked to take Dennis's place. Gowan has been the band's lead singer and keyboardist ever since. Rise up and seize the day. Blue sky, we're on our way, you know it. 
Akaropoulos takes during a sound check before a concert in Las Vegas. I mean, I'm no expert, but my advice is a little louder. <laughs> and I sat down with Tommy Shaw, James J.Y. Young, and Lawrence Gowan to talk about one of rock's most legendary bands, both past and present. Well, how you doing? Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I've got a thousand questions I want to ask you. I can't imagine anybody who doesn't know Sticks, but somebody says, what is Sticks? Well, we're a band uh, who, after all these years, is probably more functional as a group than we've ever been. Uh, and I look around me and I see what's going on on that stage night after night, and I feel like, I hope I'm doing my part of the bargain here because <laughs> it's so good up there every night. So let me follow up on that. That you've been touring what steadily since night, at least since 1998. Fair to say. Seven, eight, ninety-nine. That's when we. Ninety-nine. Yeah. Why did you continue to do it? Don't need the money. You're a legend, individually and as a band. Why do it? Um, this is what I was meant to do. This is what I love to do. Like you're meant to be on camera, interviewing people and you know, telling people the news of the world. We're meant to bring this music, which has, it comes from a higher place and is channeled through us and has the power to soothe, to calm, to inspire, and in, uh, in the best cases, to heal. And we are the stewards of this, this mighty power, and it's our great joy to get out here and, and use that power. And well said. While all that is true, I would also add that, that completely underqualified to do anything else on the planet. So. <laughs> and, why, and you know, it's fun. So why would you stop doing something that's so much fun? When you end your day with, you know, several thousand people on their feet with big smiles on their faces, that's, that, that tends, to, tends to lead to pleasant dreams. That I can understand. What's not to like about that? And I would add one more thing, that my charm wears off pretty quickly at home, so <laughs> I don't recall my wife ever being in tears when I left again. <laughs> Well, we've talked about what's the best of it, but everything has its downside. What would you say is the worst of it? I think the worst thing for me is uh, days off on the road because, you know, we're used to our routine. It's a very, the gig day is an exciting day. You're, you're waking up, you're warming up, you're suiting up, and you're, then you do the show and you're just all fired up. And on an off day, you're just, you're, you're in some hotel room somewhere and uh, that, uh, those are the harder days for me. J.Y., when in your mind, never mind what Rolling Stone and other people have written, when in your mind did Sticks really first break through? Well, I think once getting the recording contract, that was essential. But then getting that first hit record is the next essential step in the process. And that came with the song Lady that Dennis wrote and sang. And then it wasn't a hit the first time it, was, it came out, but... We had a radio station in Chicago that believed in it, and we played a lot around Chicago, and there was a DJ that actually used the, the opening lady, that line in all the ads he used. So, so the listeners of WOLS, which went 50,000 watts clear channel out from Chicago all the way to Daytona Beach and all the way to the East Coast, uh, they, they, played, they said, we're going to play this once a night because we believe this is a hit that the record company overlooked. And, and then, then the record company got behind it and then exploded, and we had an... Lady was number one in every city across North America. Uh, so that's really when we broke out. We got a gold album out of that. There's further steps to go, but that was the big breakthrough on a national level. Lady. 
Tommy Shaw, Jay Young, and Lawrence Gowan of Styx will be right back as the big interview with Dan Rather continues in a moment. Let's get back to Dan Rather's The Big Interview with the guys from Styx. Styx remains a musical mainstay thanks to constant touring and pop culture references. Lady, when you're with me, when you're with I'm me smiling. smiling. Give, Give me, me oh, 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 your love. But their longevity would not have been possible without their tremendous success early on. J.Y. and Tommy, I'm looking at this and I wrote it down, first band to release four triple platinum albums in a row. That's correct. Let's talk about then. What was the key to your success at that time? I mean, you were really rolling. Well, I think we had three highly motivated writers that all had a kind of a different mindset, different skew on what they wanted to do. And they say the great works of art come a lot of times from anxiety or discomfort from, from, the, from the artist. And we kind of made each other uncomfortable, but when we really finally all got something that, that worked for all three of us as writers and producers and arrangers, uh, it's withstood the test of time. And, and it's still reaching young people today, 40 years later. So we did something right with our writing process. How about you? The one thing that, that I can say that we do is we testify. We're, we're not, you know, it's not subtle. We, we get out there and we sing loud. We, you know, we sing high harmonies. Uh, it's just like this. It's, it reminds me of uh, gospel music on Sunday when I was growing up. You know, they just arms out and they're like the, the, uh, the Happy Goodman family. Gospel Jubilee. Jubilee! Jubilee! <laughs> Hands out. That's kind of... If you listen to a lot of our choruses, uh, they have gospel roots to them, and, our, and even our songs do because yeah. they'll sometimes deal with subjects that are a little dark, but by the time it gets to the chorus, it's like everything's going to be all right. Jubilee time. Yes. J.Y.U. joined the band when? 1970? November of 70, yeah. What did you bring to the sound? Well, uh, the... The original guys that were there when I got there, they were they were they did they were a cover band. They really didn't do original music, and I had been in a band that performed at the first rock festival in Illinois the year after Woodstock, and then that band broke up, and I was getting out of college, graduating with an engineering degree, and I needed to be making some money, and these guys were earning money, and I said, I'll bring my original thinking to what they do, and we'll see where it goes, and. Uh, and Dennis DeYoung and I pretty soon connected, and the, uh, I had brought a song called Best Thing In, and he helped finish the lyrics, and he and I sang different parts of that song, and we, the Sticks Harmonies kind of, with John Serluski there, uh, became the, our trademark three-part harmony sound, and that was the song that really got us our recording contract and sort of got the party started. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
You got an engineering degree which tells me you were at least pretty good at mathematics. Yes, sir. True or untrue that music and rock and roll as much as any other kind of music is in some fundamental way mathematical. Oh, totally. Um, there, there's, you know, there's, you have time signatures and you must abide by, or, and there's structure. This is the chorus, this is the verse, and, and everything can be, and, and we go different tempos sometimes. We speed things up, we slow them down, and it's all, there's, there's numbers involved, and particularly with computerized music or digitally recorded music, you know, there's there's high-level mathematics all over the place, and uh, so it's it's a part of it, and uh, and maybe that's the part I excel at. But these two guys are much better at the artistic side. I, I never took a course in in art or you know poetry or literature really ever. Physics, chemistry, <laughs> uh, you know, theory of space flight. Uh, Celestial mechanics, partial differential equations. Well, how about it, Tommy? Were you good at arithmetic and math in school? No. <laughs> well, that would underscore his point, but what you bring to it is the creative, the artistic part well, of it. Once I you bring got, soul and spirit to it. Once I got my guitar, uh, I had a hard time focusing on anything else in the sixth grade. I brought the guitar to school. Actually, no, I was on television in the sixth grade, and I played Pretty Woman, and I ded dedicated it to my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Louise B. Hinton. And not because I was trying to gain points with her, but she said that I reminded her of her son who died of, uh, I think, leukemia. And so she, she, she loved me, and uh, she, but, but she came to like me for who I was, and she supported me. And so I, I, was, I, I was sincere, I was dedicating that to her because if it hadn't been for her, I wouldn't have had the kind of experience that I was just, you know, just starting to learn to play. And I had this silver tone electric guitar with an amp built in the case that I got from Sears. And I carry that thing to school and she would send me, go over to uh, Mrs. So-and-so's class and play a song for them. So I was getting <laughs> out of class to go perform in the sixth grade. And uh, so, so it was always something that I wanted to do. And my brothers all say that once you got your guitar, we kind of didn't see you anymore. <laughs> Lawrence, did you get into music very early, or was it more like 12 or 13, 14 before you were interested? No, I, I started playing the piano when I was 10. I, I actually played guitar for, 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 got a guitar when I was eight, and played that till I was 10, and then my mom uh, suggested that um, she was a very astute guitar judge. She thought I should be better on, on the piano. <laughs> so she suggested piano lessons. And it was right around that time that I started to see, you know, uh, there were piano players in rock. You know, I'd, I'd heard of Little Richard and I'd heard of Jerry Lee Lewis, but suddenly there were guys like Nicky Hopkins who were playing in the Rolling Stones and Billy Preston playing with the Beatles. And I'm seeing piano players are beginning to take, um, take more of an active role. And, uh, you know, and then in the early 70s when I saw Elton John and Freddie Mercury and, you know, Rick Wakeman wearing a cape, I realized I was in the right place. Since adding Lawrence Gowan to the lineup nearly two decades ago, Styx has been playing in perfect harmony. But that wasn't always the case. Before the band's breakup in 1984, tensions had been building between Dennis Young and the rest of the band for years. 
It began with Dennis writing a ballad when Tommy, J.Y., and the rest of the band wanted to perform rock. It ended soon after Styx released Kilroy Was Here, a futuristic concept album that was more theater than rock. I've got the secret I've been hiding under my skin. Even though the album was a success, Dennis had taken the band in a direction too far away from their core, a direction the other members of the band didn't want to follow. Well, the ground's been covered many times, but you had success, and then you broke up. So, in short, for somebody who doesn't know the story, what's the story? Things are going great for you, the band's going great. Well, it was, we had three main songwriters, and, and Dennis and Tommy were the most successful of those. Um, and I was a very known figure as, as the, the tall guy at the center of the stage who played lead guitar and had been there from the beginning. And, but, Dennis had this vision for an idea that, that none of the rest of us agreed with, and we battled about it for quite some time. We all finally gave in to him on this, this concept record of Kilroy Was Here, and he believed in it, but none of the rest of us really did, but we tried, we tried our best to make something out of what we had, and we changed management as a result of that, and it was a financial disaster. Uh, it alienated probably half our fan base, I would say there was more underlying situations to that. We, we had worked nonstop pretty much for, for years uh, and never taking a significant amount of time off. And I think had we still had the same manager, he would have recognized that and he would have said, okay, here's what we're doing next year. We're doing nothing. You guys are going to go get away from each other, uh, miss each other. <laughs> Dennis insisted on firing the manager that had managed us to this great success. So, but I think that's a lot of what, what it had to do with. We, yeah. we should have gone out and go, you know, because... Take a year off. Take a year off. Go do a solo album. Do this sort of thing. But then get back together and, you, and, and you'll maybe appreciate each other a lot more. We never really got to that point. The only way to really continue to, you know, survive and succeed is to go out and play live concerts. And... He wasn't a team player in this regard. And when the time came in 1999, we had a new record ready to go, and we had offers galore to go out and perform live. And Dennis refused to leave the house, he said, for a medical reason. So I, I said, tell you what, you've worked on Broadway, and I said, you have understudies there. When you're not well one night, somebody else plays your part. So I said, why don't you just come with us, and we'll do this, and you don't have to do all the shows. And he said, I don't want you to do that. And I said, well, we're going with you or without you. And uh, I think he thought we would fail. And I knew we would succeed, and we did succeed. And a year later, he sued us in court over the use of the name. Um, we settled out of court on the whole thing and uh, have gone on without him. Well, the inevitable question, what are the chances that he comes back in, in, in some form, in some way? Is it absolutely, positively, never, no way, or... Is there something in the works or nothing in the works, but you're open to it? You know, I, I, I've forgiven Dennis for everything he's done that I, I, I feel that uh, was not right, and I wish him the best. He's a really talented guy, um, but he's... Uh, I have no desire to work with him again. 
to depend on him being where he's going to be when he says he's going to be there. And it's, um, I wish him the best. You know, it's, it's like, a, like a divorce. You know, you, you get married when you're young and everything's rosy. And then as you start to get a little older, you realize you didn't have that much in common. And then you go through a, uh, a, a tough divorce. You've got all these kids and you just can't agree on anything. And you, you, you'll try and it goes south. It's kind of like that. You know, we've, we've tried to just have even the simplest arrangements for things. And it just, it's just what they call, I guess, irreconcilable differences. And we still have songs that we co-wrote together. And, and those are, are our children. And we've managed to find a way to, to keep those things in play. But um, personality-wise, I, I, you know, at this stage in my life, I want to be happy. I want to be around people who love me and that have my best interests at heart and I don't have to fight with. And uh, so there's just not enough years left that I would want to risk not having that again. Amen, Brother Tommy. Well, Lawrence, you've been very good to sit there and listen to this. I, I, I love listening to Stick's history like you wouldn't believe. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've, I've heard a lot of the stories. I, I don't like to comment on people's former marriages. <laughs> I can understand that. But, you know, you know people still to this day, yep. some people like to focus on the fact that Dennis is not with the group right. anymore. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, but you've actually, I, I, I checked this out, you've been in the band longer is it time to retire this talking point? <laughs> if Dan Rowley wants to talk about it, I'm fine with it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's, I, I see the band, it's funny because I, I hear the, the angst and, and the, the history that they had to live through and uh, as a band, and I'm respectful of that. From my perspective, although I've been in the band, I'm going into yeah. closing in on, on 20 years, yeah, yeah, now, so it's a third of my life. Uh, so I look at it as if we are a great band. And what's made us great is that we are the culmination of the efforts of everyone who's ever been in the band. There's only ever been 10 members of Styx from way back in 1971. I think that's a relatively low number for a band that's been around for over half a century. Wow. And uh, in order for a band to continue on, you know, sometimes in life you need a blood transfusion. And sometimes, you know, Although I was, I'm Canadian, I, apparently I was a match. <laughs> <laughs> The guys of Sticks will be right back as the big interview with Dan Rather continues in just a moment. Welcome back to Dan Rather's interview about the soundtrack of a generation with Sticks.
Well, let's talk about the music for a bit. Tell me, you wrote one of the most recognized and most popularistic songs, Renegade. How did that come about? I wrote it on piano, believe it or not. Um, you don't want to hear me playing piano, but, <laughs> uh, but I was sitting in my room in Niles, Michigan. I had this upright piano in there, and I just started playing these, these triad chords. It was very kind of dark. Uh, and it's the harmonies that you hear in the beginning of the song. And uh, so with my piano skills, that's about as far as I could get, was just like just the slow part. Um, then I, I started playing it on guitar, and I was able to get the verses out and uh, wrote the words down. I wrote all the words there while I was uh, playing it on piano, and actually there was parts and more words than actually got used on the song. But it became a rock song when I took it to the band. And that's what we really specialized in. We, this, we hear, there's a good song in there. What if we do this? And uh, it, it quickly became the song that you hear now. We talked about Lady earlier. Let's talk about Babe. It was a number one hit at the time. Yes, it was, absolutely. What, what was the year? That was 79. And that was Dennis, Dennis Young wrote that song about his wife, Suzanne. Surprised it became controversial? I don't really like that soft a ballad personally but it became a number one single and it was our first number one across the boards. Lady would have been a number one single if it had been worked the way records normally are worked but it, it was number one in every market but it didn't peak at the same time so got only number six nationally but Babe was number one nationally and uh, it was it was a, it was a, the softest song we'd ever done to that point so in that, in a way, for me, who's the hard rock guy, was was controversial. But you know, I had some tough hockey players tell me that it was him and his wife's favorite song. So um, you know, I sort of said, well, we're we're it's not it's not killing this this rock image that we've built. Let's talk about too much time on my hands. That came out when about 80, 81? 81. All right, eighty one. Have any memories of putting that together? Oh yes, it was near the end of of production rehearsals before we go in and start recording the Paradise Theater album. And the last day, I'm driving from Niles, Michigan to Gary, Indiana, right? No, I think that was actually, uh, it was near my house in, uh, in the south suburbs of Chicago. That's right, so yeah. it's about 60 miles. Yeah. And I'm driving this black Tornado, one of those road locomotives back then. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it's just not meant to be. And I get about five miles from there, and all of a sudden I hear, and it was like, it's coming, it's coming at me. I've got no, they didn't have iPhones, I didn't have a pencil or paper, so I'm thinking, well, that's kind of catchy. And so as I got closer to the parking lot of where we were rehearsing, uh, I started hearing the other parts, and I was like, come on, come on, come on, let's get there, let's get there, so I'll remember it. And I parked the car, ran in, and I said, Chuck, play this. Do, 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 do. And, uh, and when it comes to this part, now go down a step to C. And, uh, and within 10 minutes. It was very quick, yeah. Uh, then I had, and I had the too much time, you know, I had the, the parts. And uh, within an hour, we were playing it pretty close to what you hear now. The, the harmonies and things like that came later. 
When we come back, more of my conversation with Tommy J.Y.N. Lawrence of Sticks. Lawrence, tell me something that people don't know about Sticks. Well, uh, <laughs> it's funny because for a band that, that, that seems, you know, is so extroverted on stage. Um, I, I think, first of all, they're great people to work with. One, one of the things I would say about the band is that there's a spirit that has run through this band over the decades. And I think that for people that, that the band works for them, so to speak, and why, why they relate to it so well, is because I think despite all of the transitions that they've had to make over the years, that spirit has remained intact. You know, uh, Todd Zuckerman, the drummer in the band now, who, t who kind of took over from John Panazzo when he left the planet, he's, uh, he's you know, been, just recently been voted the number one progressive drummer in the world. Ricky Phillips has this great pedigree of bands that he's played with, with the Babies and with Bad English, etc. Uh, if, if they knew the culmination of, of, of the, the background of all the players that are on this stage, I think they'd, they'd begin to see deeper into why the band is as strong as it is and why it, why it has continued to, to succeed. He talks about the spirit of the band. What is the spirit of the band? Well, I, I think the spirit is, is there's a, a dedication to excellence and, and bringing joy to that excellence. Being on the road when you're far away from home and you're tired and you've had lousy food and, you're, and, and you've got aches and pains and you forgot to do this, uh, there's this guy who, he may be a minute late getting on the bus, but he's always got a twinkle in his eye, and he's got some delightful observation that just starts the day off. He, he's, you are the sunshine of our lives. What a great tune that is. <laughs> you know, when I saw the band in 97, I opened the show for them. I, I connected to the band from the audience. I'd, I'd opened the show, and then I, I'd see, i watched their, their show. I'd never seen them before. But I made the remark to the two people I was with, two people very close to me, I said, you know what's really weird? I'm a solo artist. I'd done six solo albums and had a long I, career in Canada where I had multi-platinum records and never saw this coming. But I said, this, I would fit into this band. And it's the weirdest comment I've ever made at, at a concert ever. When they called two years later, I thought, this is, this is like, you know, like attracts like. There's something that just brought us together. And I think that's what has continue to succeed is something in the spirit remained intact. And <clears throat> back to your question about Babe, I will say this. When I saw the band play that song, I know it was a number one song, but it was such a strong rock band and such a strong rock force. And when uh, Dennis uh, made the, you know, told the story about the song being for his wife, the first day I walked into the room with him, I said, do I have to sing Babe? Because I, I, your show, he talked about it being all about his wife, and I feel, I feel a bit weird singing a song that is so personal to him, singing about his wife, just, you know, trying to be respectful of it. And Tommy said to me, yeah, don't play that. Play A Criminal Mind. And A Criminal Mind is a song <laughs> that I have from my solo career. Uh, by the way, now available in the new Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, uh, Killing Gunther, A Criminal Mind is finally going to make it in America. So we put that song in. It was much more uh, expressive of my Shameless personality. Shameless huckster. Yeah, so, babe, we, we, we love it, but A Criminal Mind kind of took, took its place for a little bit of time there in the band. Tell me, tell me something I don't know about Six that most people don't know or maybe nobody knows. Uh, there's a lot of laughter that goes on 
in this band. Uh, and everybody th thrives on that. Uh, the bus rides can just, the strangest things can, can break out. Dances, <laughs> rewordings of songs. Um, having Lawrence and Todd, when they met, they had this chemistry together and uh, I, it's, uh, I look at them and I'm, I'm envious of it because they can revert to like, almost like kids where they're silly, then it'll grow very philosophical and that sort of thing. And I know this doesn't sound very rock and roll, but the fact that we get along and we depend on each other and we trust each other, uh, there is such a strong family tie in here uh, that's so different from that band that was, we had that, you know, there was a lot of this clashing that, that, that led to some great music, but it eventually tore the fabric apart yeah. too. Yeah. And at this stage in our lives to have this thing, you know, where you show up, you know, it's everything's okay. It's just about, all we're trying to do is make the music better. How'd it go last night? You know, yeah. somebody made a mistake. It's okay, it's no problem. Uh, and that's what it's about. And even for our crew, we've we've handpicked guys over the years that that's their same uh, mo. And so there's no supervisors. There's no one looking over anybody's shoulders. And it's a pretty, uh, just a incredibly tranquil place that we live in out here now. And they ask us, are you guys actually having that much fun on stage? And the answer is absolutely, we are because there's a deep, deep sense of gratitude and a sense of we know how fortunate we are to be able to do what we love and we're doing it together and each guy in the band gets that and we don't want to mess that up we don't want anything to get in the way of that and so there is a familial a, a true family bond that keeps us together it's almost like we're blood what's the strangest or funniest thing that's ever happened to you in performing <laughs> yes george uh, there there i I guess I can I can go on a long time on this. I think one of the greatest things that happened to me was early on when I decided to use this spinning keyboard device, which is a way of me trying to compete with the guitar players as far as engaging with the audience. Um, I'd forgotten that just how, you know, I'm not a Cirque du Soleil performer, although I try to act like one at times. Uh, I'd forgotten to put the brake on. And as I stood on top of the piano to do that, I would leap forward and jump off the thing, you know, at the audience. The whole thing began to spin like this, and just in the timing was perfect that I came down, my tailbone it landed on the end of the keyboard. The whole thing flipped over like this. The keyboard came out, went down into the audience, <laughs> smashed into a million pieces, and I'll let you guess what the reaction of the audience was to that. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> <laughs> When we come back, Dan Rather wraps up his big interview with the guys from Styx. And now, the conclusion of Dan Rather's big interview with Styx. In 2017, Styx released its first studio album in 13 years, The Mission. The concept album was inspired by the possibility of a manned mission to Mars. And their new music video came together with the help of NASA 
whose New Horizons team had named Pluto's smallest moon after the band just two years earlier. The most recent album, Mission, is a concept album. Let me start with you, Jay Wyatt. Keeping in mind, you just told me a story of how Dennis's desire to make a concept album was one of the reasons eventually the band broke apart. Well, we'd had successful concept albums before Kilroy was here. Grand Illusion was a very successful concept album. Pieces of Eight was an attempt at one which was very successful, not exactly a concept album, and, and Paradise Theater was a concept album that was also, uh, became, that was our first number one album, and we did 110 sold-out arenas across North America and six sold-out arenas in Japan. Uh, so uh, concept be, has become a dirty word, at least, in, you know, for rock critics, but such a long time has passed, and I get credit in a way for this concept, but I deserve no credit. Um, even though I have the aerospace engineering degree because this guy here is the one that conceived of taking the planned mission to Mars, it's scheduled for 2033 or whatever it is, and, and finding the humanity in that mission. So how did you come up with this concept? I mean, were you watching a movie about going to Mars or watching some old astronaut films? Well, I was a child of the space program. You know, I remember Sputnik and it's freaking me out, this thing flying around like that, and then it starts sending up people, and so, and my family was always fascinated with it, so we would watch every, every launch and every moon landing and thing like, things like that. We were in a dressing room, and our stage manager had gotten us these little practice amps, and they had a couple of little effects on them, so I was just in the dressing room noodling around on it, and I went, doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-do
Well, I think an obvious one would be come sail away. How about There's gone, gone, gone? Gone, That's gone, good. gone yeah. would be a good one. Very good one. Yeah. And it's, it's brief. <laughs> it's a short song. By the way, you said that Sticks music is uplifting. There are many parents who see rock and roll in general, not Sticks music per se, but rock and roll in general is just the opposite. Hmm. Uh, it's dark, it's a downer, it's pessimistic. But what is there about Sticks that when you talk about Sticks, almost inevitably, even competitors or bands that want to have your kind of success will say, you know, there's something about Sticks music that's inspiring and uplifting. Well, I, I, I guess it's just, you know, we, we write what we feel and what we believe, and, and I, you can probably thank our mothers for that. And my mother always would say every, every New Year, you know, next year's going to be better. You know, and when things would get dark, she says, oh, it's, it's all going to be okay. And I used to be like, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, she was right. And uh, things do work out. Uh, and it's and it doesn't. There's nothing to be lost in being hopeful. Uh, it might also have something to do with going back to a topic we were visited right at the beginning. Those gospel-sounding choruses, those big harmonies, those they they lift people up. And if there's a positive message behind those vocals, and we've all we've been known for very powerful harmony vocals from the beginning. That was that was our trademark, really. Um, and great songwriting, and... And I think that's just our natural choices to whatever the lyric is, is, is let's kind of resolve it in the chorus where, uh, you know, the, there's a song on our new album called The Greater Good that Lawrence sings, and it's, it starts out this very personal, you know, he's this empathetic voice, and, it, and the chorus comes in, it's, it's for the greater good, and that's really the... That's the chorus, yeah. uh, yep. but but when you when you frame it right with the right harmonies, that's a new one that that, that gets to me every time I hear it. Yep. Good. Uh, but Lawrence, it, could you could you sing the first few bars of that for me? You could lay down in this hole you dug, just fade away into the red sand. But we all know it's not who you are. You've come too far to be stranded on this star. Lovely lyrics. Yeah, good. Well done. Thanks. He wrote them. <laughs> <laughs> guys, you've just been terrific. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, guys. Great to meet you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, all the Thank best. Thank you very much yeah, for coming today. You Thank could you so lay much. down. It was a pleasure. This hole you dug. And that's it for this edition of The Big Interview. We're always eager to hear what you have to say, so please follow us on Facebook and Twitter or send your comments to viewer at access.tv. come too far to be stranded on this star. But we're not here to take a prize, you know. And that concludes another great episode of The Big Interview with Dan Rather. We hope you've enjoyed this journey into the life and music of our special guest as much as we have. Now remember, if you love what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We'd also appreciate it if you would leave us a review and maybe even share the show with a fellow music lover. And to stay up to date with all things related to the show, you can follow us on social media, where we share behind-the-scenes tidbits, previews, and so much more. Until next time, keep the music playing.